Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome in. It is a big week in the screening room. I can't put my finger on quite why. I think there's a big movie opening up. And if you're like us, you are very excited. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by the fine folks at Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With their 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, you want to settle in and get comfy. For this week's leading movie, it's the update of the classic from 1978, the new Halloween. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Bell, did you do that for? So I can kill him. He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out! Go on! Get inside! Believe in the boogeyman. He's here, Michael. You should. Well, I say update. Shouldn't have said that. This is a sequel, and one of the best things that I like about this movie, and we'll talk more about this, is the fact that it is a direct sequel. It ignores everything else that has come after the original. Yes, it does. And um, and it is funny, you know, we spend a lot of time in very sort of very devoted horror movie fan circles and the people are pretty divided. So I think people who are just movie fans, cinema fans, I think on the whole, love this idea of abandoning the very convoluted, you know, mythology of seven sequels and two reboots. Right. 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 But. Other people are not happy about it because, you know, they they have liked. But what's funny about that is that even if you do think you like the whole franchises, you 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 can't complain because eventually even the franchise abandoned its own mythology and you have to accept that. Right. As as we were talking just amongst ourselves after seeing the movie, if if you would have decided, all right, we're going to keep the sequels, you would have had to draw a line somewhere right, because, because of all the things that happen and the choices they make. Yeah, because uh, because by the time they come back in four, um, Laurie Strode is dead. She's died in a car accident, and so her daughter becomes the focal point of the films. And so four, five, and six are primarily about her daughter and what happens to, to Jamie. Uh, and then uh, seven is H2O. Then all of a sudden, four, five, three, four, five, and six didn't happen. And Laurie Strode is now a woman who runs uh, a, a shutaway like a, right. a, a, a school. And she cuts Michael's head off. Right. And and they don't explain how he overcomes that. But he's back <laughs> one more time and he kills her. Yeah. So she dies twice. During the, you know, the franchise canon that you're supposed to. So, you know what? It's going to get abandoned exactly. anyway. Just cut it off at that's, one. That's and the that's thing. the brilliance of this. That's the thing, because, you know, I, as you, uh, you know, as you know, I am not a fan of all of those sequels, as a lot of people are. I, I respect it. But since you have to draw the line somewhere, might as well just throw them all out. Yes. I mean, I, I love the logic in that. I love it. And it gives them so much freedom to come back and do what they do. And they, they pick it up exactly 40 years later. Uh, after the 1978 version, just as it should be. And the director is David Gordon Green. We love him. Love him. I've and gotten to interview him twice, actually. He's a fascinating person. Peach. 
And uh, it, and it, one of the writers is Danny McBride. Yeah. And I know that raised some eyebrows right away when that became news a couple of years ago. Right. Like, well, what Danny, what's Danny McBride going to bring to this? But, because if you're not familiar, he's a comic. And he's an actor. And he's primarily known for, like, Eastbound and Down, which, right. which David Gordon Green directed. And, and he was in Pineapple Express. Pineapple that, Express. Uh, David Tropic Gordon Thunder. Green directed. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of those. So. Uh, it was an, I guess, a lot of people raised eyebrows at the pairing, not coming from the horror genre, but I love it. And the first thing that you notice about this movie is that how much they love, how much this movie loves the original. It is a mash note to the original. It really is. And in a very clever way, because there are so many times where there are so many visual callbacks to Carpenter's version, um, and but it's never just sort of, a, it's rarely just sort of a wink. There's usually a, a, a narrative reason that they do it and and a lot of uh, of those callbacks to the original lead to lead up to kind of a you know a, a turning of the table in the final act that is so satisfying and fun yeah you know what it reminds me of in in some ways is uh, star wars the force awakens because it was able to mine the love yeah. that an audience has for that original movie and in in some ways S- sell it back to them. Yeah. Sell their memories back. Yeah. To them. Not as much as no, the Force Awakens. It's not nearly does. as as sort of laden with nostalgia as the Force Awakens, but it does really. You know, uh, most of your favorite moments they they don't revisit exactly. They just they just remind you of. Yeah, and uh, as I said, as we said, it picks up forty years after the the original Halloween night trauma in Had- Haddonfield, Illinois, and now Lori is. She's a bit of an outcast. She's a she's a social outcast. That trauma has has laid heavy on her all these years. Uh, she's a outcast in her family, especially her daughter, played by Judy Greer. They don't really get along that well, and she's thought of as kind of a kook. And she's you know uh, loaded up on arms, and she's booby trapped her house, and she's just kind of that that crazy lady that urban legends have been talked about in the town. Because right. now it's four decades later, and the the kids in town don't really know, did it really happen? What really happened? And so she's become kind of that lady. Uh, but then, of course, wouldn't you know it, Michael, who's been in a, the sanitarium the, all these years and has never spoken one word, which I love, kind of fugitive-style bus crashes, and oops, he's out on Halloween night. Wouldn't you know it? Yeah, wouldn't you? There are a couple <laughs> of conveniences there. Like, there why do people keep putting him on a bus on Halloween? <laughs> what are they thinking exactly? Um, but you know, it's, it's funny that the movie knows what you're thinking, you know, so he has, he has a doctor who's been his, you know, he's been the star patient of this one doctor for low these many years. And the first thing that, that Laurie Strode played again and gloriously by Jamie Lee Curtis, the first thing she says when she meets him is, Oh, you're the new Loomis. Right. Cause that's what we're all thinking. Oh, he's a exactly. new Loomis. Yeah. You know, there are so many moments like that, you know, and then when the kids are all walking to school the one day, the, the young, the young man you know, the the boyfriend of the best friend says, you know, like, first of all, what's the big deal? It's only five people died. Oh, it's a big deal about that, given all that's going on in the world. And then he says, aren't they brother and sister? Right. Which, again, so no, they're not, because that, that became a point in Halloween, too. So it's no longer part of the story. So yeah. they just are reminding you of certain things that you need to keep fresh, which I thought was a very, it was very clever and fun the way they did it. Yeah, a few things pop up right away throughout this movie. First of all, the acting is a lot better. Uh, you than any of the previous installments, yeah. including the original. You mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis. She's great. She's a badass. She brings so much gravitas to this movie, just her presence. I was I was saying on a, a radio show earlier that for some of us, you know, the 
reintroducing of Laurie, played by Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers, is is as comforting as seeing Han and Chewie back right, together. Right. It's kind of that same vibe in a you know in a in different, a different way. way. Yeah, so uh, she's great, and yeah, the, the whole ens- ensemble is is better. Head to toe, it looks fantastic. It's assembled very it well. It is. It is. Uh, it does have one thing that that might some people might uh, have bothered a, you a little bit. A little bit. The humor. Um, and you make good points that people can be funny, yeah. even even in stressful situations. And, yeah. And that does happen with some of the characters in this movie. But I think there are at least a couple of times when the movie might serve to undercut the tension just a little bit. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, one of the things that I, I on the one hand, enjoy about it is that, yeah, if you drop yourself into a conversation between two people, you're not really going to understand what they're saying. And out of context, it's going to sound funny. Yeah. Uh, but I think that they do it maybe two times too often in this. And then by the end, you're saying, oh, it's a needless, pointless conversation. So they gave you something funny, which at this point we realize just means these people are about to get butchered. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, uh, you'll also you also may notice that this one is more. I guess the, the best word is grisly. Uh, it's well, it's a much higher body count. It's a much higher body count. It's a more grisly body count, but in a in a curious way because a lot of the actual killing, the acts are done out of view. Yeah. You see the remnants. Yeah. And then well, it's you pretty often, grisly. You hear the act. That's true. Which is, I think, even more sort of, you know, gets under your skin. You can hear it. You can hear that yeah. wet thud. But <laughs> it was not until later when they showcase the carnage, usually in a very artistically fascinating way. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a fun it's a fun movie. It is. I mean, and, and that's not the case every time. You do see a couple of acts. Oh yeah, you do. But but and and actually, the things you do see are compared to forty years ago mm-hmm. more more grisly. Mm-hmm. So some people may need to be ready for that. But uh, then it leads to for me, it started to wander just a little bit. Maybe as we're heading into the third act. But I'll tell you what, it leads to a wrap up that is I haven't applauded to a movie. In a long time. And I did, I don't mean the end. No, I mean, there's something yes. that happens. And there's a pivotal moment. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it is. Then the, the few minutes that follow that moment are fascinating. And it goes back to the, the larger theme, I think, is what they're saying is, so she's, we can see what she's done. For 40 years, she has basically not been able to get over the fact that she didn't kill him. And so now she's just been spending 40 years preparing to do that. And then quietly, he has spent the last 40 years obsessing about the same thing, that he was not able to kill her. Right. He got everybody but her. And uh, and so it's it's so great to see when they finally come together, how David Gordon Green makes that all work out and how great Jamie Lee Curtis is. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's one that is such a, a crowd pleaser, meaning that you need to see it with a crowd. You should. I mean, because I would not have been, I probably would not have been as caught up in it to the point of applause had I just been sitting at home. Right. But you got that vibe. Yeah, it's, and people there's so are much into, energy. People are very wired. Yeah, and when that moment came... Like you, like me, so many other people were thinking the exact th- same things that we were. And so they delivered it, and it became such a rousing yeah. yes. And that leads to a, a real strong, fun, tense, action-filled finale yep. that, that, for me, really brought the movie home in yep. a big, big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's good. I think if you're excited about, as excited about this movie as we are, you are going to be satisfied. I think you so. Know, it's not perfect. No. But you are going to be satisfied. And... We will have to say a little something about the end of the credits. We, you know, normally anymore, we have to pretty much sit through every movie just to find out whether there's whether something or not at there's the a end stinger, yeah. that we can tip you off. And there is not, 
but there's something. Yeah. Um, that's about all we can say. Yep. So if you got the time, you might want to sit through the, the credits and pay attention, pay attention because it does, it doesn't give you a scene or a stinger, no. but it does give you something. A little, little bit of something. A little bit. So, yep. well, we'll give you that. But we, you we, know what? I think yeah. that we, one thing that I do want to point out is that this is the first episode that John Carpenter has actually been involved in since his original. That's a good point because somebody asked me about that earlier, and I was not aware of, of this point. So, very famously, he, he, did, he did the score for the original, that great, super creepy, spare, you know, musical number. And if you want to hear that, just call Hope's phone. That's right. It's my, it's my <laughs> ringtone. Um, <laughs> So I love it, as you know. But he and his son and a guitar player came back and they did the entire score for this movie. So it was just it was just cool. That is great. And somebody actually asked me earlier today, is John Carpenter still alive? Yes, well, he, he is. is. Yes, he and is. And he's actually mainly a musician. Yeah, and he's involved in this. So just one of the reasons that we give a big, fun, clapping, applauding recommendation for Halloween. Think you're going to dig it. Next up is a holiday-themed movie. In a politically divided America, a man struggles to make it through the Thanksgiving holiday without destroying his family. It's called The Oath. Today, the government announced an initiative to have Americans sign something they are calling the Patriot's Oath. The deadline for signing is the day after Thanksgiving. This is not the America that I know. Christopher, we said we're not talking politics. I'm not going to ruin Thanksgiving, I promise. Rest assured. You are Nazis! Let people think about liberals. As soon as they're triggered, they call everyone a Nazi. Oh, shut up, Katie. No politics. You treat people who don't agree with everything you say like they're morons. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. You're a moron. Shut up! This one is the writing and directing debut for a guy named Ike Barinholtz. Now, even if you don't know that name, you probably know his face. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. ton of stuff. He's in he's in those um, sorority fraternity movies with Seth Rogen. Right. Um, he was just in Blockers. Yeah, and he plays, uh, if you saw Sisters right. with Amy Poehler yep, yep. and Tina Fey, he's the hot guy. So sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes he can be, you know, there he played the hot guy that, that Amy Poehler wanted to hook up with. And other times he's just a degenerate loser. Right. Uh, so here he's kind of in the middle. <laughs> and uh, he's married to Tiffany Haddish. And they are hosting, getting ready to host the family. for His family. His family for Thanksgiving. And this is a not too distant future where things could are, be present. <laughs> things are extremely politically divided. And they're even more so because... The government has just rolled out rolled out a new idea. They want everyone voluntarily, in quotes, to sign a patriot's oath, which yep. is basically they're they're declaring their unwavering loyalty to the president. Yes, and this obviously sets well with one side of the spectrum, and not so well with another. And then there are those people in the middle, the ones who just sort of do what they're told and don't mind, and the other people who just cave to the pressure because mm -hmm. they don't feel safe not doing it. And this um, is a much, it starts off very strong. It's, it's dark and smart and funny in a way that is not, I was afraid it would be very self-righteous. And the truth is that Baron Holtz's character, Chris, who's a liberal, um, he comes off as being just as big of an idiot, really, He's he's very self-righteous. He doesn't he just listens to the news. He can't get away from the news for 5 minutes. He's just very preachy about his side and I appreciate that because because in and then of course also there's there's comedic balance. There are other people at the 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 dinner who are frustrating in the, in another way of course, but I like that the whole thing didn't feel really preachy. Yeah, because it makes sure that his main character is 
just as dismissive of everybody else's opinions as he as is accusing everyone else as being toward his. Right. Which is an important point because you get that so often, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Right. Nobody is willing to listen to the other's opinion. And that makes this very clear. This is his house. He doesn't want to hear about it. And he, he he's right over everybody. And even though his, his wife mainly agrees with him, she just wants to have a decent Holiday. Holiday. She just wants without to. Without any of That's this. right. Let's not force it down each other's throats. Let's just try to get through this weekend. Um, and, uh, and and it starts off really strong. It's actually maybe so accurate that the comedy is much more tense than it is funny. Um, and uh, But it's funny. It takes a very weird turn yeah. in the second act. And I went with it. I uh, like weird. Uh, it was a little bit surprising. Uh, and some of the performances are very interesting. And again, the whole thing comes to a, like a really high boil where it's it's almost abandoned comedy for horror. Almost. It's almost a black comic horror at, during the second act. Yeah, things get tense. Uh, things get uh, threatening. And um, it does take a totally different tone. And it's it it starts to, it, it leads toward a finale because all the time this this was happening, to me, it was painting itself into a tight corner. Yeah. How are we going to get out of here? Yeah. And the way that it gets out is just, boy, it's just too convenient. Yeah, it's it really cheap. is. It's cheap. So there, there, are, so there are two big problems with this film, and one is the ending. It's, it's, it's not the ending it deserved. I have the feeling it's not the ending that was originally written. And uh, I think it might just be the ending they came up with to get it released, because honestly, it's ill-fitting. And then the other thing is that the funniest human being in this cast, Tiffany Haddish, does not get the opportunity to be funny. And I was really sorry about that. But uh, at the same time, I kind of respect that a little bit, because, I mean, she's everywhere all of a sudden. Yeah. She is very funny. And... Just playing against type sometimes can work, um, but I, I I see where you're getting at. Yeah, overall I think this was a an ambitious swing and kind of a miss yeah. by Ike Barinholtz. Yeah. I I don't think he can totally be dismissed as no, a filmmaker. I agree at all. His his uh, heart was in the right place here and trying to make a statement that he is, does a lot right is very timely. Right, he does do a lot right, but I think in the end with that kind of a left turn that you don't see coming. Like we said, he paints himself into a corner that's hard to get out of, and the way they get out of it is just a little too tidy, yeah. a little too cheap. But uh, but a, a decent and ambitious try yep. for his first uh, time writing and directing for Ike Barinholtz in The Oath. And the other film that's finally getting a wide release this week after a couple of weeks in limited release, also very socially conscious, a girl named Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend at the hands of a police officer. Now facing pressure from all sides of the community, she must find her voice and stand up for what's right. It's the hate you give. Today, Garden Heights is reeling after the shooting of a 17-year-old black teenager by a white police officer. We live in a complicated world. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. Violence, brutality, it's the same story, just a different name. He's threatening her. When you're ready to talk, you talk. Don't ever let nobody make you be quiet. This is the latest from star Amanda Stenberg, who is the go-to for the cinematic representation of adolescent literature. She is in all of them. <laughs> and I can't say that I have loved, nor have I hated, the, the last couple that she's been in. Well, she was Rue 
in the the Hunger yeah. Games. That's right. So yeah. that's where she established her credibility in yeah. the genre. But the last two, young adult, that's what really her her niche is. Young adult here recently has been in uh, Everything Everything yeah. and The Darkest Mind. Yes. Very cookie cutter YA stuff. This is not, and that's what elevates it so much to what I think is one of the, the better films of the year. And she is the star. She's Star, mm-hmm. S-T-A-R-R, her character name. And it's it's very interesting because you take the, the, the YA genre, and we, we poo on it. We do. Uh, <laughs> because it, it, it so often leans on these just tired tropes. And at the, at the very center of that is the special girl, right? Yep. And nobody knows how special she is, and she's not sure of her own specialness. And that's always the point of the entire movie is just to prove to her how special she is. But here she's special for very good reasons. And that right away, it just it elevates the movie because she's... She lives in a the hood, quote unquote, in in uh, Georgia, uh, but she goes to school in the white suburbs at a Catholic school, and she goes there not because, as her mom puts it, she needs to learn how to pray. Uh, they're getting her out of her surroundings, and so she has to navigate between two different worlds, two sets of friends, and they each kind of, especially her her home neighborhood friends, kind of kidding her about always hanging with the white the white kids, and she has to learn how to navigate through both of those uh, different worlds. And yes, we do get the narration. The voiceover narration. Yeah, that's another trope of the genre. But right from the beginning of the film, it really slaps you with reality because the opening scene is when Star is younger. It's her, her father giving the talk to both her and her brother. Now, in this case, the talk is not about sex. This talk is about how to survive when the police pull you over. Wow. So right away, they're drawing the uh, stakes here. It's like part of the audience, depending on like who you are, you may see this as, oh, yeah, I know that talk, or what? Yeah. And that's the point yeah. here. Yeah. That's what right away elevates this movie into smarter than your average young adult fare. It's based on a novel, a young adult novel from just a couple of years ago, and uh, Star witnesses, after getting a ride home from a party in her neighborhood, their car is pulled over, and her childhood friend is driving, and he gets shot and killed by a police officer. And then that throws her in to some hard decisions because she's the only witness, eyewitness, mm-hmm. and through a variety of different sides, pressure her to do different things. And all of them logical. You know, most of the most of the events in this movie stand up. I mean, they feel real, they feel organic, and it's all wrapped around. You've got all these societal issues, very vital. Very important, wrapped around what really is a, a a very engaging family drama about what's happened to this girl and this family and how they're all dealing with it. And uh, all sorts of very, as I said, vital uh, issues are addressed through her eyes. And she becomes a very effective vehicle to do that, to look at systemic oppression, uh, white privilege, liberal guilt, black lives matter, all lives matter. Um, you know, all, all those things that we see in the headlines that are just all the, the racial divide that is going through this country right now is addressed in a very thoughtful way. And I think the most beautiful thing about this movie is because it doesn't the movie doesn't pander to its audience and it treats the character with the respect she deserves. And in doing so, the audience exactly with the respect they should be getting yep. from more of these movies yeah. in in trusting them with these hard realities uh, that they should be aware of and should be thinking about for their own selves. And in doing that, it becomes something that I think all audiences 
need to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, the trust that it gives. It's director George Tillman Jr. He did Notorious, mm-hmm. which was pretty good. It was. A few years ago. Mm-hmm. And some other things. And a, a, a screenwriter named Audrey Wells, who I just found out apparently just tragically passed away just a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Yeah, I don't know really why. Uh, wasn't that the, oh, it's just middle age. So I don't know what happened there, but that's very unfortunate because this, she does a good job of striking a balance here between all the narratives going on. And it's, it's a, it's a, a very, um, it's one that I could see ha- having gone wrong pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I didn't, mm-hmm. re- didn't read the book. I assume it's quite good, but uh, they, they bring it to the screen very effectively. The entire ensemble, which includes Regina Hall, yeah. who's always Common. good. Common. Uh, Issa Rae, Anthony Mackie, uh, Russell Hornsby, who's good as her dad, and Algie Smith, who was the main yes, singer in, in Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, he plays her friend that gets killed, and he's right. very good in a, with limited screen time. But, yeah, really, uh, I've been hearing a lot about this movie. I was excited to see it, and, uh, boy, it, it came through. Mm-hmm. It's really one of the better YA adaptations you're going to find, and I think really, really necessary for not just YA audiences, but everybody. Even though I will say, at the very end, the finale wraps up a pretty tidy, gets a little didactic, a little preachy, but it can't ruin it by any means. Really a big recommendation for The Hate You Give. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. First up at home video, Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is one where we differed. A little bit. You didn't like this as much as I did, I think. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I did. I thought it was fun, too. And I thought it was, in, in some ways, better than the original. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could go there as, as, as far as that uh, in, in this sequel. No, I, I really thought that it lost some narrative at a certain point in the movie. I thought I felt like I was also just floating without much to do. But again, same as with the original. It's really the side characters that make this movie fun. Well, not only that, but I think a big difference in this movie was... In, in the original, I found, well, the character that became the Wasp mm-hmm. to be a distraction. Yeah. Really a distraction. And here, she really comes into her own and really becomes a, a, a vital component of the movie. And let's not forget, the stinger in this movie is one it's of great. Yeah. the best. Yes, it is. Yes. One of the best. That is that is no lie. It absolutely <laughs> is. Yeah, it's amazing. So big points just for that. Uh, also, Unfriended Dark Web. Well, that was one you liked so much better than most people did. Well, you know, I think we both liked the original Unfriended pretty pretty well. Better than most people did. Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, this was one. It's a it's that gimmick, I guess you'd call it, but as we've said before, all movies have a gimmick, that is just built around a computer screen. Right. Now, we saw it done a few weeks ago. It's searching. a pretty good effect mm-hmm. in searching. And this one is the same as uh, as the original Unfriended. These kids doing the live chat, doing the you know, whatever they do these Game days. Game night. Game night. That's what it is. It's based around a game night. Uh, and it goes haywire. And you know what? I thought, again, the integrity of the plot device held up pretty mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. It does a couple of things toward the end because it has it has two different endings. And I, I saw the one in theaters and I, and I only saw, you know, the second one. I went and looked it up and, you know, they both are fine. I think I like the one I saw uh, in the theaters better. But there's a couple of moments where, okay, you raise your eyebrows a little bit. But all overall, I thought it was it really held up well and uh, and delivered a, a decent message for these movies that try to warn you about the dangers of the Internet. And yeah. We've seen a lot of them yes. to, to varying degrees of success. Uh, this one covers a lot of them, even some of the newer stuff like swatting, you know, and right. bitcoins and yeah. things like this. Handled them all pretty well. So, yeah, I know a lot of people were down on this movie. I thought it was pretty effective. 
and another one that I liked a lot, a Whitney. The documentary about Whitney Houston is out this week. And this one, mainly it's just sad. Yeah. It, it really is. Because it gives you a, a real glimpse behind the scenes of somebody that, if you've forgotten how big a star she was, my Lord, was she a big star. Yes, yeah, she was. She was huge. I mean, she was. in record sales, in radio airplay, the movies, I yeah. mean, the bodyguard, holy crap. And, and what a voice. And that's the main thing you see and hear uh, with some of this footage that is some is behind the scenes, some is those footage that you might know. You see the deterioration of that voice. Yes. Through the choices that she made and, and see the, the downfall of her career and her personal life. And it is sad, but it is a real uh, glimpse behind the outward persona of somebody that if you remember that even though as big a star as she was, she really didn't didn't grant too many of those no, she big didn't. wide-ranging interviews. Of course, everybody remembers the Crack is Whack interview, but by then she was tumbling she was, yeah. so far out yeah. of control. So um, if, you're, if you're a fan, even if you're not, it's, a, it's another one of those, and unfortunately we've seen this story way too many times, of a star that is just, you know, end up killing themselves. And this is another story about that, which is sad in nature, but it's also very illuminating. And I think well done. Well done documentary, Whitney. Uh, we look forward to, well, do we look forward to next week? Well, we look forward to one of these. Yeah, we do look forward to one of these. Mid-90s, Jonah Hill's mid-90s next week, which we were very eager to see. He's getting some nice early buzz. He's not in it, but he, he wrote his, and directed his it. debut as a writer-director, mm-hmm. and we're hearing some very good things. Less excited about Hunter Killer, uh, Gerard Butler, the King of January. I don't know what he's doing in October. That's right. This, yeah. this it's just the, I see the trailer and I, and I think that this is January. Yes. January all over it. But I say that now, and you know what's coming out in January? Glass, which I cannot wait for. So that's true. Hopefully, it busts the January curse. So yeah, Hunter Killer, and also the return of Johnny, Johnny English. English. Does anybody want to see that? I guess I'm going to try to keep an open mind, George. I'm going to try really hard. We have to do that. So we'll cover those and some other things that pop up. Next week. In the meantime, we'd love to know what you think about Halloween or the oath or the hate you give. All good stuff that all of these all these three movies uh, that come out this week in wide release invite conversation. They do. They, they really, really do. do. So we would love to do that. Keep it going. You can find us uh, most easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website with written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. Find out, find all that on the main website, which is Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F dot com. So we'd love to hear from you. Until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater and a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is The Screening Room. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.